This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today we have our big Wednesday show for you. Now what that means is we're going to do some news from across the league. We're going to talk about some injuries as well. A little report with Dr. Kyle Trimble. Then we're going to talk some college football, a little bit of fantasy, and close things out with a Thursday night football preview of the Cincinnati Bengals and the Miami Dolphins. One team extremely hot, the other heating up maybe. But before all that good stuff, we have Julius Lux to go over all of our news tidbits for the day. How are you doing, Julius? All is well on my end. Got to see a solid solid dub from not just my Dallas Cowboys, but as well as my fantasy football team, Chris Olave. Shout out to him. Uh, he, <laughs> he had himself a nice week. Other than that, all is good. How about yourself? I'm doing well, man. I will tell you this. So I haven't really said it on the pod yet, but so I'm vice president of Gridiron Heroics now. And that's all well and good, and I, I'm very excited about it. But simultaneously, Brian McLaughlin, who's been on the podcast before, big-time FCS guy, he is the president. And wouldn't you know it, basically the week that we step in and start changing things around, get a big old hurricane heading right towards Florida. So needless to say, this week has been absolutely nuts. We're just stepping in, trying to... <laughs> get things going and and uh mother nature said why don't you just hold your horses and uh <laughs> maybe we'll do this next week so but yeah man other than that i'm doing very well wishes to everybody in florida i hope everybody in your family's doing good i know it's kind of in that neck of the woods so you know what i'm saying I, yeah. I hope everybody's doing all right yeah i'm on the east coast so it won't be hit as much but i heard it's starting to kind of creep its way a little bit over but I know, like, of course, from being in Florida and, you know, I had a bunch of teammates around from, like, summer ball and stuff there from the West Coast. My my friends, his family is from the West Coast from college. So, you know, it's definitely, you know, it's one of those times, again, you know, you just got to prepare and hope for the best and, you know, hope everyone, you know, prepares well and is all safe down there. Oh, I know. When, someday when we have a little more time, I'll tell my my hurricane story. Once, once this oh, hurricane yeah. passes and everybody's good, We'll laugh about my hurricane story. We okay, have but to, we're gonna save it. We're gonna make sure everybody's good before before we absolutely. have absolutely don't want to jinx nothing. So I totally yeah. get it. All right. So why don't we jump into some news today? It looks like we've got some good stuff on the docket. Yeah, we got a good amount of stuff today, which is nice. Um, so the NFL has announced the Pro Bowl games, and this will replace the typical Pro Bowl tackle game with skills competition and flag football. So this will begin in 2023, take place in Las Vegas, and the events will be presented by Verizon. So this came out of nowhere, and now we got a new little look at the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think the players like the Pro Bowl. I don't know if fans particularly like the Pro Bowl. I mean... I I value the All Pro Award more anyway. Personally, I think a lot of people do, and there's no game for that, so I don't think it matters that much. It's it's a longstanding tradition. Anytime you say goodbye to one of those, I think you know some people miss it. Some people like to go to the Pro Bowl as a vacation they schedule every year type of thing. But now you can go and watch quarterbacks and see who can throw the farthest. See if Josh Allen really does have the strongest arm in the NFL. I guess. 
Yeah, absolutely. I went to the first one in Orlando when I was younger, and that was a fun experience. I went to one of the practices, and it was it was super cool. Nice, nice. Yeah, Maybe I, I uh, Josh a, Allen can go up against Tua Tungavailoa in the yeah right in the throwing yeah. competition. <laughs> yeah, it was cool because um, just a small quick story. I got I like I met Richard Sherman as one of the guys I met there, and he signed a card for me. And you know, my dad didn't like you know his attitude because you know that was like you know <laughs> you know Richard Sherman when in his prime, like he was talking this talk. And he was like so surprised that he was so nice to us. And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's That's different on the field, field, man. Yeah, it's on the yeah, field. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So speaking of Tua, though, so Tua Tungavailoa is planning to play in Thursday's matchup versus the Bengals. He exited last week's game against the Bills after injuring his back, but came back into the game and helped Miami lead them to a shocking win against Buffalo. So it looks like the Miami Dolphins that are three and zero will have their man taking snaps. Yeah, we say. We say um, back injury in quotation marks. <laughs> Trust me, we will absolutely talk about that with Kyle. So we talked yeah. about it yesterday with Kyron. We'll talk about it with Kyle. That's going to be an ongoing story to 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 uh, keep track of. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was an interesting one there. All right, moving on. So we have a guy with an injury that's going to play, and now we have someone out for the remainder of the year. And this one's kind of a tough blow. New York Giants receiver Sternley Shepard suffered a torn ACL and will miss the remainder of the 2022 season. This was a non-contact situation. I don't know if you saw the replay, but he was just kind of doing a little running the route, and then he just grabbed his knee. And um, he missed most of 2021 with a torn Achilles, so he was coming back from that injury. And, you know, the Giants need receiving and basically any help possible. And now the 29-year-old will miss this season. And they already are out without Kadarius Tony, And now they'll be out without uh, Sterling Shepard. Yeah, so we'll talk about this with Kyle. But here's an interesting tidbit about this. We broke this story. Gridiron Heroics did. I should say Kyron Samuels did. Our own Kyron Samuels. And he broke something else that we're about to talk about in a minute. So I, I think... I have to laugh about this a little bit because we officially broke both of those stories, both this and the one we're about to talk about. But I don't think we have enough Twitter followers for people to have realized it yet. So we so just got to keep breaking just stories. Yeah. We're just yeah, we just, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're the first ones to say it, but, you know, people are hearing it other places first because we just got to get out there. But we just got to keep breaking stories before people realize that we are. Uh, that we're, we're doing that. I You know, it's pretty cool for Grand Heroics. It's a big step. Absolutely. Chargers left tackle Rashawn Slater ruptured a bicep tendon, and he will be shut down for the remainder of the year. And other Chargers news as well. Joey Bosa could miss some time with a groin injury, and he is listed week to week as of right now. And that stinks for the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Seems like they're going through a crazy amount of injuries, and that's the other one. The Rayshon Slater news was also broken by Kyron. So he's on a hot streak this week, two two days in a row, basically. That's wild. That is wild. So um, hopefully, check the timestamps, baby. Yeah, I got to check them timestamps and, you know, wish those guys a speedy recovery. The Bucks will be practicing at a Miami Dolphins practice facility due to Hurricane Ian expected to come along the west coast of Florida. So Tampa Bay is expected to play against the Chiefs Sunday night, and they will re- they will evacuate Tampa and go to Miami. Yep, and we have, like I was just talking about, Brian, among other writers, uh, down in that area as well. So a lot of people affected. Um, spent a long time down there, and it's it's no joke. 
hurricanes are no joke and the most stressful part about it is just waiting to see if it's coming at you or not it's 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 uh it's tough but of course i don't ever really worry about nfl teams they are they're well prepared for anything they might need absolutely so they will be in miami for the week lions receiver amun ross st brown got some good news on his ankle injury he played through it and the results were labeled encouraging so it looks like probably one of the best receivers we've seen so far this season this early in the season looks like he's going to continue to be just fine and play for this week good because he's on a heck of a hot streak he's looking like one of the best wide receivers in the nfl this year and he's very very important to that lions team i know they've got some other good players but i think he is their star offensive weapon at this point yeah absolutely he's having an incredible season he did we did talk about him last time getting player of the Mm -hmm. week and um he looks like he's just trending forward and doing absolutely incredible and we wish him the best for the rest of the year Miles Garrett was involved in a single car crash Monday after leaving the team's facility and was transported to a hospital, but did have no life-threatening injuries. He was discharged from the hospital Monday afternoon and will get tests and evaluations done this week. So prayers up to him to make sure he's all good. Yeah, for sure. And I think he's fine. It looks like, I think really the only question is whether he's going to play this week or not. We, we talk about it with Kyle a little bit, but again, there's not enough information out at this point to really make any kind of educated guess about what's going on with him. Um, pretty much banged up, probably got some whiplash and, you know, probably he's, I wouldn't be surprised if he's felt worse after an NFL game <laughs> or a college football game than he has <laughs> as after this, but you know, not to make light of it, but, but yeah, he'll no, be absolutely. all right. Yeah, absolutely. Good. And you know, God bless that he's all right. Mac Jones suffered a high ankle sprain in their loss to the Baltimore Ravens. The injury is severe, and he will get a second opinion to get that checked out and make sure to see, you know, what his timeline's looking like. But it looks like the Patriots will be at will be without their starting quarterback for a couple of weeks, especially this week. So Mac Jones's injury, you know, they've they've looked. I don't even know how to even describe how they've looked this season so far. But you know, they're not off to a good start with Mac Jones now going down. Yeah, it's probably not about to get better. And that's that's the final injury news that we have now that we will also talk about a little bit later because that's an interesting one because it kind of seems like there might be some differing of opinion between player and organization. A lot of times, player wants to do whatever it takes to get back quickly. Not sure necessarily that's the situation. So we'll, we'll touch on that shortly. Is that it for today, Julius? That is everything I got for you today. Beautiful. Well, I appreciate you very much, as always. Let the people know where they can find you until we see you tomorrow. All right. So you can find me on, on Twitter. That is uh, GotJuice44. GotJuice44 on Twitter. You can find me on GridironHeroics.com. You can see my articles and all of the appearances I've made on the show, as well as on Facebook, Julius Lux on Facebook. Beautiful. Thanks again, and have a good night. Appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, we are back with our weekly segment with Kyle Trimble, Doctor of Physical Therapy. He is going to run through the injury report with us and give us some news, some insights, what his expectations are for some of these guys, and even some predictions if news hasn't officially dropped. So we had a fair amount. It's week three. Some of that attrition is starting to build up, and we've got a lot to go through. Kyle, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing pretty good. Always good to talk to you. Likewise. Likewise. I love doing the podcast because it's all the craziness of the of the day. All of the other work, it just vanishes for a minute. And I just step into a conversation where nothing else exists. Got noise-canceling headphones. It's my happy place. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I get you. <laughs> all right. So let's jump right into it. We, Like I said, we have a lot of injuries to touch on. And you know how it is. I throw it to you. I leave it up to you. I trust your expertise. And you're just going to tell me everything that I need to know about the injuries this week. All right. So we're going to kind of work our way through the AFC and then hit the NFC there. So we're going to start off with the uh, AFC East. We're going to hit on the uh, Buffalo Bills first. Um, the Bills, after starting off 2-0, went down to Miami, nearly suffered a heat stroke <laughs> with all the injuries due to the the heat there. Those guys are dropping like flies, unfortunately. Um, and they come out worse worse for the wear, dropping the 2-1 and leaving Miami first place in the AFC East division. On top of all the heat-related issues they had, uh, they lost Christian Benford for the next few weeks with a right-hand fracture. Uh, Tommy Doyle, backup offensive tackle to an ACL tear. And then prior to the game, they lost Micah Hyde, who their all-pro safety is, uh, due to a herniated disc in his neck. Uh, what's crazy is we talked about Dane Jackson last week. They're starting cornerback in place of Tredavious White right now. He gets his head nearly taken off, and he's going to probably play next week here. And they got Micah Hyde, who had a relatively innocuous hit on Robert Woods, and he's staring down uh, potential fusion surgery. Uh, that has not been released yet for the, the type of procedure, but that's usually what it is for herniated disc. So it's just incredible how things can change instantly. But the Bills are certainly hurting from an injury standpoint, and um, thankfully it's early in the season for them to kind of recover. Uh, moving into the same game there is um, Tua Tagovailoa of the Dolphins. He suffered uh, a back in ankle injury, according to the injury report here today, and we're talking on Tuesday. And he's there's questionable whether he's going to be able to play, but they're going to try to push everybody to play on Thursday if they can. What's interesting about the back injury was that he looked – he looked like he was concussed when he was taken down in the backfield was wobbling all over the place. And the story that, that Mike McDaniel was given to the press about what was going on with his back and his head and something's not adding up there so much so that the NFLPA is investigating what went into that uh, assessment and find out if there was any wrongdoing. Cause we've have seen that in the past. Um, most of all, be Tom Savage of the Houston Texans, Russell Wilson of uh, when he was at Seattle Seahawks, uh, different times where guys were cleared when they shouldn't have been. So I'm curious to see what happens with that. Uh, and then finally, Patriots Mac Jones. He left the game late in the fourth quarter with a left high ankle sprain. It's pretty severe from what they're saying. Um, injured reserve is almost a certainty at this point. And then they're talking about surgery, though. From what I'm reading is Mac Jones uh, wants to try to take his time to come back from this. The Patriots want to kind of rush him back and there's been some discussion whether it should be a long play or, or return quicker there. So if he does get a surgery, he'll get the tightrope surgery made famous by the Alabama doctors of Alabama Crimson Tide. They have excellent recoveries when they do come back at just whether they want to do more of a conservative measure or if they want to do a surgery and try to rush him back, which could hamper him the season but doesn't have any long-term implications. So the one that I have to, to, to go back to is one we talked about on the podcast yesterday was the Tua situation and we Kyron and I both said he obviously had some type of head injury in your experience would a back injury such that he might have sustained falling backwards like that 
cause him to act like he did. I mean, I personally, from an uneducated standpoint, don't buy it for a second. But I'm curious if you have any further insight to that. I want to say yes and no. Um, only because if you had a back injury that led to that profound weakness like that, I would think you had potentially some type of neurological issue when I say that, like, are we thinking like a stroke or are we thinking like a sudden back injury where there's some type of instability in there that, you know, you get up and suddenly it's just not happening. But like, those are significant traumas or sudden medical changes though. That's not going to happen necessarily from a football injury mm-hmm. or excuse me, from football tackle. So the presentation isn't matching up. I don't, I don't buy what the dolphins are saying right now from a, a PT standpoint. I want to hear their, uh, the discussion on that, but just with how he got up the wobbliness, like the back injury and they're saying it loosened up. It just something about his fishy, you know, pun intended, but I, <laughs> some, it just doesn't make sense here. So, um, there are instances, but not from a football standpoint. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me at all, but I wanted to hear what you had to say. And basically yeah. you're, you're supporting what every common sense person is, is thinking right now. All right, let's move along. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go to the AFC North. Um, that's going to be real short. Um, Brown's Miles Garrett, he was in a car accident, I believe it was on Monday. He tried to swerve to avoid hitting a deer and flipped his car. Uh, he was with a passenger, and he was released on Tuesday afternoon from the hospital. We don't know the details of his injury, though He, it's just too soon to say whether he's going to play on Sunday or not because we don't know the extent of the injuries. But, you know, rollover crash, you're, the cars are – well equipped to, to withstand a lot of damage and keep the passengers safe. Well, we don't know what's going on with that. So that'd be something to monitor. Um, that might allow Jadavion Clowney to uh, step up a little bit more in place of uh, Miles Garrett if Garrett can't go on Sunday. And then um, moving over to the AFC West here, because AFC is kind of short this week. Uh, Joey Bosa is dealing with a groin injury. Um, I'm not certain when he injured that injured the groin, but that's going to make it very tough to bend the edge and, and really get to the quarterback. So um, both the Bosa brothers have had injuries over time. They managed to play through a lot of the stuff, but the groins, it's not something you're going to just toughen up and get through it there. You need to give yourself some time to rest. So uh, depending on the severity and how the charges have been beat up during the season, they might elect to have him set a week just to get right. So he can at least get through the season and can continue getting hampered. Um, with groin injuries, you just have to be concerned about if there is a core muscle tear or um, a yeah core muscle injury, which is you know tear in the groin musculature. That's another injury in itself, but sometimes those groin injuries can present, or the core muscle repairs, no core muscle injuries can present as groin injuries that linger for a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. That's interesting. I mean, they are just dealing with one after the other. I mean, we didn't even talk about Rayshon Slater being out for the the entire season. That's right. The biceps injury. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they are, they're devastated and not to mention on top of that, their star quarterback, Justin Herbert, still dealing with the cartilage is a cartilage mm-hmm. tear, right? That's correct. Yeah. Cartilage break injury. Break. Yeah. Just, uh, it depends on how you want to phrase it. It's all mm-hmm. the same thing pretty much. Yeah. Gotcha. So man, they are going to be a team to monitor as we go through the season because it just seems like one after the other. And plus Derwin James is, notorious for getting injured regularly. So you don't want to, you don't want to jinx that, you know, it's a knock on wood situation, but it's just like, it seems like the one guy who's the most hurt hasn't gotten hurt yet. It's almost feels like a matter of time. Exactly. Absolutely. So uh, moving around to the NFC. Now we're dealing with, um, we'll go to the NFC East next. We're dealing with the giant Sterling Shepard. He tore his uh, left ACL on uh, Monday night and it was a pretty, 
it, it wasn't a nor. I mean, when I say normal mechanism of injury, like it fit what he was doing, but it wasn't like he was running a route or mm-hmm. got hit or something. He was jogging down the field and he just happened to step just right and he uh, allegedly tore his meniscus from what some of the reports I've seen, including from my friend Pro Football Doc, and then um, also had the ACL tear, which they did confirm. I think they also did confirm the meniscus. I can't remember which, but. Um, it just you would think that you would do more to tear an ACL like that, but he was coming off the Achilles. He's played at MetLife uh, Stadium, and they've been known to have some serious injuries to that turf. I'm not blaming the turf for all the injuries. There's sometimes other things that go into it, but a lot of times, um, or not a lot of times, but we've seen more times where it just injuries have happened to occur. They're more serious ones, so it's just kind of a little iffy. You can't do anything to prevent against it, but you have to be more mindful of it. Maybe if you got a guy who's iffy, maybe you sit him out to preserve him there. So it's unfortunate with Shepard, but he's been oft injured throughout his uh, career in New York. Um, it's just it's really unfortunate. And then yeah. moving moving over to the NFC West here as Trent Williams, he's dealing with a right high ankle sprain. Uh, he did deal with a left high ankle sprain last year, and he's he's played through these injuries before. Uh, what happens is the Ligaments that connect the tibia and fibula together um, kind of create the, what's called syndesmosis, and it sits over the talus of the foot, and so that creates your uh, foot and ankle complex. So when that high ankle sprain occurs, you get hit from the outside, the foot goes in dorsiflexion, which is up, the foot goes out into eversion, so you got to get rolled up on, and it uh, the foot kind of pushes the fibula, the lateral malleolus, the distal fibula, out, and uh, stretches that syndesmosis, causing the instability of that ankle there. So um, it remains to be seen if Williams does play through the injury, but he's going to be pretty hard-pressed to do that, at least initially right afterward, uh, just because there's so much lateral mobility. He has to do his offensive lineman and just um, keep, keeping the defensive end from bending the edge there. So he can tape it up. He's known to play through this stuff. He's a tough guy, but even tough guys need a break from time to time. No doubt, no doubt. And he's key for them on an offensive line that's not been doing too hot lately. So when he comes back is a big deal for sure. Absolutely. So so I'm just curious, and, you know, maybe you don't have insight on this, and maybe I will have to get, uh, see if I can find uh, someone who's an expert on field turf on the show to answer a question like this. But what is it about about different turf that, causes you to get injured more in one place versus another is it the the sur- surface underneath the turf is it the turf being uneven like what would you i know this is speculation but what what yeah. do you think it could be um they look at the type of the the um turf like how i don't want to say sticky it is but how how much the foot can kind of uh get into the turf and come up off of it the benefit of the field turf is you're not dealing with the mud you're not dealing with the the ground shifting um, as you deal with more natural grass. Uh, so they, they've designed the field turf. It's come a long ways from the AstroTurf where it's just carpet over concrete. But the idea is you're <laughs> able to stop a lot easier and move and whatnot. But sometimes those feet get caught because you're trying to, to pivot and go off another way and that foot just doesn't come back up off the turf as easily. And there's people out there that deal with the, the turf more uh, in greater detail. But that's just what I've seen. And just the foot tends to stick a little bit more since it just – you're not having the natural turf cut or the grass give way or it's not slipping or ripping up. So sometimes the feet just get caught in there because you're just pushing down and trying to move so quickly. Eventually at some point, um, 
what would normally give under natural grass doesn't give. And then, you know, you get your Achilles, your ACLs, other issues, because that force has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So. All right. So that's good insight. And I, I feel like I still want to get somebody on here to talk about something like that, especially because my team plays on that turf pretty much every other week. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, it's cool. So anything else for us today or is that, that do it for the injury report? We got one more division here. We got the NFC. All right. North. Yes. So we got the Lions, DeAndre Swift, dealing with the ankle and shoulder injury. Um, I don't have a much a lot of insight in on Swift's injuries, but it seems like he's injured constantly. He came in from, I believe, it was Georgia um, in the second round, and he's just been injured nonstop. He still produces, but he's just a guy that gets banged up easily. It seems like. Um, so we'll have to watch to see whether he's going to be playing in Week Four. Uh, Packers Jair Alexander, he suffered a groin strain um, early, early in the game against the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers. And he was seen on the sideline stretching and when due to the groin, just having to flip your hips and and uh, keep up with your man moving down the field and jumping. Mm-hmm. It just it's just a vital piece of musculature, especially when you're playing such an agility position. So right. um, once again, he it remains to be seen whether he plays in week four just because it's the practice reports. And we have to see how severe it is there. Um, the Bears, mm-hmm. David Montgomery, he's dealing with an ankle slash knee injury. Um, there's been some differentiation between what it is. We'll get more clarification on the injury reports this week. But um, th- th- like I said, there's been a lot of different stuff in between there. He might miss a week um, just to be safe there. But it, potentially he could play. But once again, those early season versus late season things, a lot of these things that you play later on in the playoffs when you need to, but sometimes you sit out just to preserve your body there. So um, whether it was a high ankle or more of an uh, MCL sprain, it remains to be seen, but we'll get clarity on that later in the week. And then uh, Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. He suffered a left dislocated shoulder. Um, while that sounds awful, considering Cook's history, he's dislocated his shoulder, I think this might be his third or fourth time now. Um, it's been up there. And what happens is the labrum. Jeez. Yeah, it, he, he's done this a few times here. And the labrum um, helps stabilize the shoulder and creates a deeper socket so that the uh, head of the humerus, the shoulder, can move around in it. Well, when you tear your labrum, you take a piece of that uh, labrum off and it kind of acts like a golf tee for the uh, head of the humerus to articulate and move around in there. So when you chip off a piece of a golf tee, that golf ball is not going to sit on there as well. And it's more likely mm-hmm. to fall off and, and, and move around there. So he's never had it fixed and he just continues to play through it there. So the downside is, yeah, he dislocated it. He had to leave the game. The upside is there's already instability in there. The shoulder pops back in easier and then he can return to play quicker. So that's the the trade-off with that. Yeah, he might miss some of the game, but then he can return quicker the next week. So I don't know that he'll miss any time. But eventually, at some point, he's going to have to just uh, um, buck up and, and get the shoulder fixed so that he can, you know, not deal with that. But I guess each to their own for that kind of those kind of injuries. Yeah, well, I mean, like aside from just the, the discomfort of it, all the pain, there's a massive amount of bruising and like muscular muscular bruising that would happen every single time. Right. So it's like. You know, this is not a Lego where it's popping off and you just pop it back in. Like there, there you sustain overall damage there, don't you? Uh yes, the damage can accumulate over time because if you dislocate multiple areas or you just keep on just hitting it there, it's kind of like I had a surgeon explain the repairing labrum to me. Like if you go to repair it and you tear it again, you repair, keep tearing it again. It's like sewing water together. You eventually can't do it there. So he might say, let's mm-hmm. make sure, let's let's repair it when we have no other options there. 
I don't know what the inside of his shoulder looks like there, but um, you can cause additional damage. You can cause damage to the nerves. Um, the brachial plexus oh, goes down through. You can uh, cause damage to the rotator cuff. You can do that, but since the instability is already there, that stuff is more likely to be preserved because there's already in that instability. So um, the team doctors, if there's a really problem, they're going to tell them to shut it down. But if they're saying, hey, let's pop it back in, do some uh, strengthening exercises, wear a uh, shoulder harness, then you can be able to play. But he's shown he can do it. So um, I know that the Vikings medical staff switched things over, I think, last year or the year before, changed out their athletic trainer. But still, anybody at that level is going to know what they're doing in terms of managing these athletes' injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's I feel like ever <laughs> since I became a dad, my my tolerance for pain has gone down. And I think it's this it's 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 funny, but it's more about just management. Like I'm already so tired, like the idea of any other additional thing to deal with. I, it just feels overwhelming. Yeah. When I like I'm only 32, so I'm not even I'm not like, you know, old, yeah. but. I feel like even three years ago, it would have been wildly different. Like I would have just taken whatever bump bruise like I would have dealt like I would not that my, you know, daily job would cause me to dislocate my shoulder like an NFL player, but I would have been in that mindset. Just like, you know, pop it back in. Let's roll. Yep. Now I'm like, nope, I'm out of commission. I'm going to go lay down. I'm going to watch a series of uh, a season of TV, sleep, <laughs> eat from the same place that I woke up. That kind of thing. That's me now. Yep. <laughs> and that's that's what old age does to you, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. I am very curious to monitor that to a situation. That's definitely going to be something that we have recurring conversations over. And uh, we'll be back next Wednesday with the injury report once again. And guys, I want to I want to throw this out there, something I haven't done yet. If you have an injury that you'd like Kyle to talk about, shoot it to us on Twitter. You can you can send him a message. You can send me a message. You can um, just tweet straight at us and give us a little advance, and we'll try and get it on the show so we can break it down in a little further detail for you. All right, Kyle, while I'm mentioning that, why don't you let them know what your Twitter is and where people can find you? All right. So you find me on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit at Banged Up Bills. You can hit me up those questions there for the show. And if you're looking for any Bills centric stuff or even AFC stuff or just NFL to a lesser extent, you can find my stuff there. And I'm usually looking at that stuff. So feel free to reach out. Beautiful, Kyle. Thanks again. And we will see you on Wednesday. All right. Take care. All right, everybody, I am super excited to welcome back my good friend Max Chadwick from Pro Football Focus to break down this week of college football. All right, last week you were pretty hyped for the for the weekend. Did it live up to it? Oh, it, it did. It absolutely did, Max. It was a fantastic week of college football. And spoiler alert, this upcoming weekend is might be even better, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> um, but this past weekend was awesome. I mean, every, you know, the, the big talking point I remember we had last week was, okay, four playoff contenders are going to be tested really for the first time all season in number four, Michigan, number five, Clemson, number six, Oklahoma, and number seven, USC. All of them before that did not play a top 75 opponent in PFF's power rankings. They played a top 35 or top 45 opponent in PFF power rankings last week. All of them 
went down on the wire in a single position ga- a single possession game. Michigan barely squeaked by Maryland, thirty four to twenty seven at home. JJ McCarthy didn't look too good, the Michigan quarterback, but Blake Corum did. He had two hundred forty three yards, which was a career high for him. Uh, number six, Oklahoma was the only one of the four to actually lose on Saturday. They lost at home to Kansas State, forty one to thirty four. The Oklahoma defense. Needs a lot of work, and Brent Venables is one of the best defensive minds, if not the best defensive mind in the sport, but that Oklahoma defense is, is you know, a long ways away from what he's used to when he used to be the Clemson defensive coordinator. USC mm-hmm. uh, barely squeaked by Oregon State. I, I circled that game, too. Uh, I thought it was going to be a shootout. It absolutely was not. It was 17-14, to 14, <laughs> the final score of that game, which was shocking to me and USC scored a game-winning touchdown with about a minute left and then the game of the day was number five Clemson at number 21 Wake Forest I've been hyping up Wake Forest on this show and they showed that they're a legit team they took Clemson to double overtime in that game 51 to 45 that game was fantastic both offenses were scoring at will which is a great sign for Clemson because everyone thought hey the Clemson defense is going to be elite this year they had a really banged up secondary against Wake Forest and Sam Hartman the Wake Forest quarterback took advantage of that he threw a school record six touchdown passes against Clemson but DJ Uyunglele who wasn't great last year he showed up against Wake Forest and Clemson won in a shootout which is something that they really could not do last year Nice. So first of all, I want to say, if you notice, I didn't even ask you how you're doing, because the answer to the question I asked you was would have been the answer to how you're doing, because if it's a good weekend of college football, I know you, man, you are you're hyped. Now, the only (laughs) games that I did get to catch a little bit of was I got home Saturday night. I was catching some of those um, those late night games uh, on the West Coast, mostly. So I was curious to see how USC held up. How about this, though? This is this is one that I did get to catch the end of. How about Martinez, man? That was the game that I got to watch. So uh, that's what I can bring to the table today. Yeah. He went off in that game, looked super athletic, basically ran the ball at will. I mean, I don't know that much about college football. Apparently, it's a big story, a big kind of uh, comeback story. Yeah, because it definitely is. So tell me yeah. about it, right? You gotta, you gotta <laughs> fill me in because all I'm getting sure. are these little snippets from the commentators. So tell me why that game was so big for him. Yeah, it was huge. A lot of Nebraska fans who are you know pretty down in the dumps right now after just firing their head coach Scott Frost a week ago, they're they're kind of living vicariously through Adrian Martinez. If you guys remember, Adrian Martinez was the Nebraska quarterback for like it felt like forever, like the Perry Ellis of college football, basically. Uh, I can't believe Martinez still has college eligibility, honestly. But he transferred <laughs> to Kansas State. Uh, and he went off against Oklahoma, you know, something that Nebraska couldn't really do when they played Oklahoma last week. And Martinez was fantastic. He had five total touchdowns in that game, um, close to 400 total yards in that game. He had a hun- almost 150 rushing yards in that game. Oklahoma, like I mentioned, the Oklahoma defense had absolutely no answers for Kansas State, especially in the running game. Deuce Vaughn, one of the best running backs in college football, also had over 100 yards in that game too. So Kansas state had had two players that are over a hundred yards against Oklahoma. So yeah, he, he definitely had a massive, massive game. Yeah. So that, that's just the one that I got to actually watch live. And so I got excited. I was like, this is what I'm going to talk to Max about (laughs) on the show this week. But look, he was playing, he was playing. I don't want to say fearlessly because I feel like the broadcast announcer said that like a hundred times, like commented on how gutsy he was, but he was, I mean, he was playing, 
with a lot of heart, like definitely left it all out there, which was, it was fun. Yeah. That's, that is college football, right? That is, that's, that I think is what you get out of college football that you don't get from the NFL. The crispness and the overall athleticism and, and, you know, all the preparation that goes into to NFL football is what I love, but you don't get that same leave it all out there mentality just once in a while, yeah. sometimes in the playoffs. But for these yeah. guys, they know it's kind of, it's the end. So it, it's cool to see. All right. Yeah. So you, 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 you uh, tease a little bit that the rankings might shake up after, after this weekend, anything, anything notable on that front, anybody in your top four moving up, down, in or out? Yes. So I, I mentioned last week that I, I have, um, you know, after this week, it should change my playoff or at least, you know, I, I have to take a long look at it. I think I'm going to stay the same. I think I'm going to stay with USC at number four. And, I, and then obviously uh, the big three of Georgia, Alabama and Ohio State uh, in there as well. But, you know, Clemson really proved a lot to me in that game. And I was really, really impressed with the Tigers. So they're right there right now. And I have an article coming out on PFF tomorrow. Where I rank the top 25 teams and I have Clemson at number four right now because I really am that impressed with what the Tigers have done. And like I mentioned, like they really weren't an offensive team last year and they have a really good defense this year. Defense, the secondary, which was beat up and it should get better when they get all the guys back, but they really got taken advantage of in that game. And it didn't matter because DJ Uyunglele, you know, kept throwing bombs on Wake Forest, which again, he could not do last year. And all he's made a massive comeback this year and he should reemerge in the uh, 2023 quarterback race for the draft. Gotcha. So what what would it take in the next week or two to push them into your top four? What do you think that they would have to accomplish? Well, they got a big one. I mean, if we're going to get into the, this upcoming week, they've got a massive game this week. You know, they just go against Wake Forest, top 25 team in the country. Now they got a top 10 team in NC State. Uh, they're at home this week against NC State, number 10 in the country. So if Clemson wins that game. It's going to be tough for me to sit here and, and keep touting USC. I think Clemson has a Really good shot, especially if they beat, you know, two of the best teams in the ACC, in my opinion. That would prove a lot and, and should say to me, hey, there's a good chance they go undefeated, uh, at least until the playoff. Interesting. All right, so let's revisit the Heisman talk. Yep. Anybody make a big name for themselves? Caleb Williams, did he, you said it wasn't a shootout. Did he regress? I don't want to say regress. Did he hurt his chances a little bit with the performance or was it not up because of him? It, it, I think he did. I, I think he did. He completed 44% of his passes um, against Oregon State, which is not good. Uh, again, they, he he had the, the awesome whole shot at the end of the game to Jordan Addison to win the game. But otherwise, it was a pretty not great performance from Caleb Williams. Uh, I tweeted out um, during the night that C.J. Stroud, I think, is a clear favorite for the Heisman Trophy. I still believe that. Ohio State, I mentioned that, came to you, the Wisconsin game. I feel bad. I, I'm happy you didn't watch that game because <laughs> – like I like I thought it could happen. Ohio State waxed Wisconsin. That game was fifty-two to twenty-one. Wisconsin has a pretty good defense, too. Not like the elite defense like we've seen from them in the past, but still a pretty solid one. It did not matter though because Ohio State was scoring at will in that game. And the thing I keep bringing up all the time is like Ohio State right now has the best offense in college football. What people need to remember is that they have the best offense in college football. The best receiver in college football is not playing for them right now. He should be coming back from his hamstring injury soon. So you take the best offense in college football already, and you add the best receiver in the country, 
all of a sudden, like, that takes it to a different stratosphere, and the comparisons you make shouldn't be to other teams in the country right now. It should be to, like, number, like, 2019 LSU, 2020 Alabama, like, those kind of, like, best offenses we've seen in recent memory. That's where I think Ohio State will end up once Jackson Smith and Jigba comes back from his injury. So I do, I did flip it on because it was right at the end of the game. So I think I ended up watching the Oklahoma game because it was closer. I saw that it was a blowout. I did see just one play from CJ Stroud where I was like, oh, wow. And I think yeah. literally 10 minutes later, I saw your tweet about how he's a clear cup here. And I was like, well, I get it. I mean, I do. Because he was running right. He was rolling out right. And he just flipped the ball, like, just flipped it. And not even on a line, just touched it. I can't, I can't remember who he threw it to. It might have been a tight end or running mm-hmm. back that was running out on a wheel route. And it wasn't quite the seam, but it wasn't like right on the sideline either. I literally just saw it for a second. I flipped away, so I don't remember the play that well. But the ease, the touch, and the ball placement all stood out immediately. Yeah. So I get it. Now, here's a question for you, and I honestly want to know. Do you think what Brian Hartline is doing at Ohio State is going to get him a head coaching job or is just going to make him one of those all-time position coaches? It would be tough. I think, it, you know, making a jump from receivers coach to head coach will be a, a pretty massive jump, especially if he wants to stay in the Power Five. Maybe there's a group of five team out there that, you know, wants to make a splash and they hire him. But what he is doing, especially on the recruiting trail, too, is, like, absolutely fantastic. He's consistently one of the highest-rated recruiters every year. You know, they constantly bring in all these talent, all this talent at wide receiver. Like, they had our, my second-best receiving core in the country heading into this season, even though two of the first three receivers taken in the NFL draft were on Ohio State. So you think, oh, wow, they lose two first-round receivers. They're probably going to take a step down. No, they don't. They just replace them with Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think is probably a top-ten pick in the NFL draft. Uh, Emeka Buko was the number-one receiver recruit a couple years ago. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a first-round pick as well. Julian Fleming was the number-one receiver recruit a few years ago too. Like They just keep replenishing at wide receiver, and they'll always have an elite receiving core, which obviously helps out C.J. Stroud. No doubt. And I think I think there's an argument to be made. If you're a program and you're considering taking him on, you have to realize what he can bring to your school in terms of receiver talent is yep. going to put you on the map every single year. And what quarterback yep. doesn't want to go and play with that? For what sure. quarterback doesn't want to play with Ohio State's offense? So I understand that you, you know, you'd probably take a major step back in offensive line recruiting. Who knows defensively would depend probably largely on who you get as your other coaches. But I think I I just have this sneaking suspicion that he's his name his presence is in the national hype train right now. You know what I yeah. mean? It's just it's in that football meta and I would not be surprised. I know it's not the way things normally go, but that's why I asked because yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody if somebody goes in on this guy and it's a big news story come January. Yeah. I would not be surprised either. We've seen that happen before. Position coaches going right to head coaches. Again, it's rare. You usually see the coordinators uh, get a shot at head coach. But if anyone's going to do it, like Brian Hartline is one of the best, if not the best position coach in college football. So, yeah, you, you really couldn't go wrong with Brian Hartline there. All right. So any other notes that you want me to take away as I go into this this weekend of college football? I feel like yeah. I feel like week by week, my wife is becoming more and more resigned to the fact that I, <laughs> I have games on all the time. So, Yes, um, there's one team who I'm putting out my top 25 tomorrow. They're number 21 in the AP poll, and I have them at number 10 in my ranking. 
uh, which I know is probably going to ruffle a lot of feathers. I think Minnesota is the most underrated team in college football right now. Uh, they have the highest-graded quarterback in the country in Tanner Morgan. And by the way, if you're a betting man or a betting woman, uh, lay some money on Tanner Morgan to win the Heisman right now. He's 100-1 to to win the Heisman, even though he's the highest-graded quarterback in college football. Granted, he's played a relatively easy schedule, but he just lit up Michigan State this past weekend. They've got a really good team all around. they got studs on both sides of the ball. I think Minnesota is a legit top 10 team in the country. I think they can go 10-2 and two or even 11-1 and one this season, win the Big Ten West, and they can go into that Big Ten championship game against you know Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. They can go into that game as basically a de facto playoff game saying, hey, if we win this game, we could crash the college football playoff, which would be an unbelievable story. Not a lot of people are talking about Minnesota right now, but I really do think they're the biggest sleeping giant in college football right now. Okay, that's interesting, because not only is that not something I've heard this year, I don't think that's something we've heard in years. When was the last time Minnesota was at the level that people were talking about them as a national champion? Not, like, I can't remember the last time they won a national championship, but I remember a few years ago in 2019 when they, like, Rashad Bateman, um, and by the way, Tanner Morgan was still starting there. He's been starting for five years in Minnesota. <laughs> He's like Kenny Pickett, basically. Um so, yeah, they were really good back then. I don't remember the last time they were, like, I don't think anyone was talking about them like that, though. No, 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 no. I don't think, like, I don't think they've ever won a national championship here. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, the last one they won was 1960. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. The last Heisman winner they've had was 1941. So Tanner Morgan could wow. make history. Again, I don't think he will win the Heisman Trophy. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying 100-to-1 odds right now when he's the highest-graded quarterback in college football. I think that's worth breaking a few dollars on. Hey, that's fair. That's that's good because when we talk when we talk game picks and stuff, we don't do a lot of college, but uh, so it's an interesting one. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on. As always, I appreciate it. We will have you back on next Wednesday to talk college ball. Now, again, this is just showing how out of touch I am. How many more weeks of regular season college football do we have? Uh, so we're, teams are about four games in, so they have about eight more, use, most teams are four games in, so they have about eight more games of regular season until, uh, the conference championships and then obviously the bowl games and playoff and national championship. All right. So we have, we have, we have, we have plenty of episodes left and then yeah. of course we can do some draft talk once that, that time rolls around as well. Max, let everybody know where they can find you until we get you next week. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me at Chad underscore Maxwick on Twitter or on TikTok or also on PFF.com, posting a, a ton of college football articles for them lately. It should be a really exciting week of college football. We have five games between ranked teams. The, that's tied for the most that we've had in five years. So I am super pumped for this weekend. Uh, so make sure you guys check out all the stuff at PFF. It is going to be one hell of a weekend for college football. Beautiful. All right. We'll see you then. Hey, uh, why don't you come over and we can, you know, decide whether to start or sit Adam Thielen. All right, I am as excited as ever to be back with my friend Matthew Brown to talk a little bit of fantasy football. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Max. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I am good. I just, every time I talk, I just see you laughing at me because you know that I'm just like trying to find the right word. I'm operating at like a very, very low efficiency 40% right now. That's my brain functionality. <laughs> and this is not a joke or exaggeration. I was awake for 11 hours today 
before I realized that I had not eaten anything. And I am not joking. Like wow. I didn't, it's just, my mind is just too many places right now, just with the, the hurricane and everything and everything that we've been doing. So, um, I actually feel good, but maybe I'm just manic. Like maybe you, you do hit that point where you just get like, you know what? Uh, it doesn't matter. And I, I know you get this with kids where yeah. you know, I have two, uh, two girls, four and two, you just kind of are perpetually tired and you just get used to it at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah, man, I I, uh, I feel good right now. I, I will probably crash hard at some point, but I'm just going to keep moving right now. I'm just living off of a steady injection of uh, caffeine straight into my bloodstream. And uh, let's talk some fantasy football, all right? Why don't you tell us how let's this week it. went? Because I, I've been trying to keep up with everything. I have, but I think one of the things that happens when you start to, to, to track the league and you try and actually watch the games and give analysis on everything is that you don't look at box scores very much, right? Because you end up just like repeating box scores as, as a form of analysis. And nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear what happened. They want to hear your take on it. Right? So I realize I walk away from Sunday. I have no idea who broke a hundred yards receiving. I have no idea who put up fantasy points. So why don't you let us know? I mean, here, here's the interesting thing. There's a lot of times where I look at things and go, wait, that person put up that that amount of points? Because obviously I'm just looking at my fantasy mm-hmm. matchups. For and so, week, right? um, uh, yeah, for the week. And so, like, I looked at Khalil Herbert's stats and I went, wait, wait, what? <laughs> what just happened? 154 yards and two touchdowns. Um, so, I mean, he was a huge running back this week that went off you know David Montgomery went out with an injury and so he was probably one of those running backs that wasn't on even a lot of people's rosters unless you're in a deeper league um but uh, it was a really honestly a low scoring fantasy week nobody really went off um we were seeing a lot of tough defenses out there and a lot of the people that were supposed to kind of score more points someone like a Patrick Mahomes haven't um, and I guess the other one that's kind of just been on his, I need a contract tour has been Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. He's just been back to his old MVP form, rushing, passing. I mean, he looks like an even better passer, which in terms of fantasy is helping, uh, his pass catchers, especially his receivers become more viable in a fantasy football, uh, ecosystem. Yeah. It's been a while since anybody aside from Mark Andrews really was. And now I'm, I'll be curious to see what it looks like with J.K. Dobbins coming back because will he be rusty? Will he slide right into the offense? Will the threat of Lamar Jackson make him immediately dangerous on the ground again? That's an interesting one. I, I want to hear what you have to say about that if you think he's a, if he's a worthwhile play maybe. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, I am, with all major injuries, I am a wait-a-year person. Mm. I think J.K. Dobbins is great next year. This year, I'm I'm pretty out on him because I think that, and, and I'm not even looking at matchups, not even looking at any of that stuff. It's it takes a while for players, especially players in like skill positions. So you're talking your wide receivers, your tight ends, your uh, your running backs, running backs especially to get comfortable with major knee injuries to making that cut. Mm-hmm to making that quick move to do that juke, you know, especially on uh, certain grounds, depending on, you know, what stadium they're in. Uh, It's, it always takes them a good, like six to eight weeks to kind of get comfortable. And then by that point, the season is mostly over 
And so I find that for most major knee injuries, and I mean, I'm going to use Saquon Barkley as an example. He was back last year, but was not back to what we saw Saquon Barkley being this year. Saquon Barkley looks like someone who's going to win a fantasy uh, a season for mm-hmm. you, making uh, pulling off big runs. It looks like Penn State Saquon Barkley, and it's that year removed from the injury. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very fair. I have him pegged. At, I I should say my preseason prediction was that he would be the comeback player of the year. And there's always time because I think if he gets hot at least halfway through the season and into the playoffs and makes an impact like for a playoff team, that always affects the storyline portion of, of, of that award. But he's got to get back on the field pretty soon if it's going to happen for me. <laughs> Oh, and I'm going to eat my words if J.K. Dobbins, like, you know, sets records in the last eight, nine games of the season. But <laughs> yeah, maybe worth a <laughs> Which, roster you know, spot, maybe not a draft pick, though. Yeah, yeah. All right. So who do you have for us as far as this week? So this week, um, I've got two receivers that I want to highlight. Um, one of them is Marquise Brown. Um, this is one of those I looked at the box score and went, Wait, what? <laughs> How many catches did you have? Um, he went off 14 catches, 140 yards. The the crazy thing, a whopping 17 targets for Marquise Hollywood Brown. Um, clearly, Kyler Murray likes him. That was the reason why the Cardinals traded for him. DeAndre Hopkins is still serving his six-game suspension. They're playing the Panthers, who have honestly been a very surprising defense. Um, I, you know, In a weak NFC Dare I say that the Carolina Panthers could maybe sneak into that seventh playoff spot? I I don't know. Don't put me through a playoff game with the Carolina Panthers. Just don't do that to me. I may not be ready. Are you ready? I don't deserve that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, 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 I'm not guaranteeing that, but I'm just, you know, glimmer of hope out there. I mean, their, their, their defense is 14th in DVOA, but you know, I talked about it last week. I've talked about it in my articles. It's opportunity. Clearly, Marquise Brown is getting opportunity, and so he's going to have the opportunity to get big numbers, and so I I like him this week against the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, at some point, Kyler Murray is going to go off, and I don't know if it'll be enough, right? Like, we've seen it in spurts here and there. I think at some point, he is going to have some really big games just from a pure talent perspective, and so... I think... I think people are out on the Cardinals as a team and that always that bleeds over into fantasy and you go, wait a minute, just because you're out on the team as a contender in the NFL season doesn't mean you should be out on the players in fantasy. Right. I mean, they're not giving up in September, right? I mean, I I know they all got paid, but that doesn't mean they're just going to stop trying for the year. So I I think it's, it's interesting. People, I want to monitor this one. I feel like it's a it's a reasonable play. The Panthers are not a team that I've watched a ton so far this year, and I am kind of curious to see. I'm curious to see what they become. Do they become a good defensive team that's dragging along their offense, that stabilizes maybe a little bit with Christian McCaffrey leading the way? Do they implode? Because I think if there's any team that's going to just totally fall apart offensively and defensively just because the coach gets fired and the players stop believing that's one and that could happen any week. So that is the one where I think you could 
let the feeling of the team bleed over into fantasy. Maybe not. I don't think that Christian McCaffrey is not going to get points. But if you do have an offensive player going up against that defense, then maybe that is a good play. That's a that's a, that's a good one. Again, pers- uh, um, opportunity is is big. So. Yeah, the other wide receiver is um, Brandon Ayuk. Uh, I watched the sadly watched the Denver 49ers game and just really enjoyed myself. Um, and I was watching the game, and uh, one of the things that I, I always like to do in terms of fantasy is look at kind of what I'm seeing on on the field. What what kind of plays they're running, and it felt like that Jimmy Garoppolo was targeting Brandon Ayuk more. Because his stat line really wasn't that great. He had like three catches for 39 yards. Yes, he caught the touchdown, but it wasn't like anything special. But it just felt like it was always, oh, intended for Ayuk, intended for Ayuk. Well, after the game, I went and looked at the targets. Turns out I was correct. (laughs) Brandon Ayuk had eight targets. Debo Samuel had eight targets. So he had the exact same amount of targets as Debo Samuel in that game. This week, they're playing the L.A. Rams. I bet that Jalen Ramsey is probably going to be blanketing Debo Samuel. The Rams are a very star-powered defense, meaning that they rely heavily on Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, to make these big plays. The rest of the town around them is creaky. Mm -hmm. And so I'll bet that Ayuk will probably get a lot more looks because Jalen Ramsey will be blanketing Debo Samuel. Yeah, well, I think they're going to... Use one of those guys as a decoy, for sure. I think that's just the way that they're going to have to operate. I also think they're going to get the ball out as quickly as humanly possible with Aaron Donald wrecking that 49ers offensive line. So the question is, who is that too? I don't think the running backs have been much to write home about between injuries and fumbles. and I'm not sure the running game is... is I know that schematically, it's extremely important to them. Not sure if that's what they're going to go towards. It's going to be tough this yeah. week. It's going to be tough. So, whoever they can get the ball too quickly and let them operate in space, which is kind of the formula that they had last year, and with a cover corner like Jalen Ramsey on Debo Samuel, then maybe Brandon Ayuk is that guy this week. So that's a that's a good play too. Can I give you a shocking sit? Sure. Usually I don't do sits, but I've got a shocking one. I am out on Patrick Mahomes this week. And now if you if you're in a two quarterback league, you know, you're probably starting him. But most people are playing one quarterback leagues. The Chiefs play the Buccaneers defense. The Buccaneers defense has kept the team afloat. The the offense has looked of the Buccaneers has looked horrible, looked horrendous. It's been the Buccaneers' defense that has kept them afloat and, and that they are 2-1 and one because of that defense. You look at the stats of the Cowboys, the, um, the Saints, and the Packers, all of the quarterback stats are very pedestrian. That's not to say that they didn't put up some numbers, but it's all very just okay. Mm-hmm. And, okay, you can argue, well, wait a minute, they played Jameis Winston and, you know, Dak Prescott went out in that game. And so they had to, they dealt with Cooper Rush. Of course, they had a good time. But, I mean, they did it against, I mean, Dak didn't go out until the third quarter. And he was still having a very okay game. And Aaron Rodgers, I mean, the first two drives looked unstoppable. And then the Packers couldn't buy a first down for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. So they locked it down. So I, 
maybe not so much like, oh, you should sit Patrick Mahomes, but honestly, if you're in a one quarterback league in like a 10 or 12 team league, there's probably a quarterback either on your bench or in waivers that you can go pick up that has a better matchup and a better opportunity to boom rather than just kind of give you okay numbers. Mm, I like it. And let's be honest, the Chiefs were made mortal last week against the Colts. I'm not saying Colts are a better team. Uh, I still think the Chiefs are one of the best. But that defense is very legitimately one of the best in the NFL, if not the best by the end of the year. We'll see. But, I again, you're right. Great Great point about the matchup, and I I think they're not going to be able to run it. Via, uh, even though they have a very good offensive line, I don't think they're going to be a successful running game. And so anytime you have that, you can get a little bit blitz happy. And Holmes has been very, very good against the blitz in his career. I'm curious to see how that game plays out, and I would definitely be comfortable sitting Patrick Mahomes especially if I had any other viable option when I'm that unsure about what that game is going to look like. I mean, they they're they're on yeah. pace if they keep if they keep doing this against better quarterbacks. When they start playing bad quarterbacks, they are going to absolutely shut them down. So, we shall see. All right, Matt, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you very much as always coming on to tell me about fantasy. Because that's really kind of what you're doing here. Our listeners are getting the benefit of you telling me about fantasy. That's why I get you <laughs> on here. Not for them, for me. Where where can everybody find you between now and next week? You can follow me at Sorcerer Matt on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. Gridiron Heroics and Wisconsin Sports Heroics. Um, I'm pumping out articles pretty much daily. Um, uh, so I, I've got fantasy articles coming out uh, tomorrow. And a bunch of Packers and Michigan and fantasy and uh, a whole bunch of stuff is coming out. So I I, I, I stay on the interwebs a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we all do these days. That's that's the modern era, man. All right. We will see you soon. As always, I'm very excited to have you, Matt. Have a good night. Thanks, Max. Gamblers. Wagerers. And Riverboat Ramblers. Tonight, we pick. All right, everybody. I'm very excited to welcome a brand new guest to the show to break down and preview the Thursday night matchup between the red hot Miami Dolphins and the heating up Cincinnati Bengals. We have Nico Del Ferrate. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Excited to be so, here. Yeah, man. So, Nico is pretty popular on TikTok now. TikTok now. Oh my God, I can't believe I just said TikTok. So that should just tell you something. I'm freshly 32. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a relatively young person, but I am so out of touch with TikTok. <laughs> and I, I, I think I created an account, probably. I don't even know if I got all the way through. We have a social media guy, Kyron Samuels, who's awesome. Thank God, because I am not that guy. <laughs> But Nico is super popular there. He is Elite Takes there on Twitter and Instagram, so you should absolutely go check him out. But how did that come to be? That's the first question I want to ask you. How did that heat up for you? Because you're talking to the oldest 32-year-old you've ever met. <laughs> yeah, um, so it was really just a thing um, back in 2020 um, during probably the biggest point of 
of the COVID spread and school was at home. And I, I just really found myself with a lot of spare time scrolling through TikTok, um, hearing actually a lot of other sports accounts giving their takes. I was like, maybe, maybe I have something to offer to the world. So I gave it a shot and I stayed patient and consistent. And here we are now. Right on. Well, that's 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 the process, man. That's how I ended oh, yeah. up here too. So, COVID, <laughs> man. COVID. I changed my career during COVID. So, similar story, although not uh, obviously not TikTok for me. <laughs> but let's talk some Cincinnati Bengals, Miami Dolphins. You're a big Dolphins guy, so yes. you must be feeling pretty good right now, man. Oh man, it. This is everything I could have dreamed of and more, man. The expectations <laughs> have been definitely broken through already yeah so dolphins coming off a big win uh we talked about it just a little bit the other day we didn't really have time to properly break it down i think there is no doubt that they benefited from the weather right that's that's more than obvious i I lived in south florida for about (laughs) eight years this time of year there is absolutely brutal for anybody that doesn't live there year round For the people that live there, they've just gone through a full summer of true South Florida heat and humidity. It's like from the moment you wake up, you sweat until the moment you go to bed. And if you come from anywhere else, it's just not quite the same. And we saw that. We had players cramping up all day with the Bills. I mean, even the Dolphins were feeling it a little bit. But a high-scoring game with a lot of – well, not really that high-scoring, to be honest, but still some explosive action. It did, though. It really did. It felt like it? a much bigger shootout than it actually was on paper, man. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, uh, I mean, the Bengals, they absolutely have the ability to compete with that in terms of scoring. Oh, yeah. We didn't see it for the first couple of weeks. They just beat up on a Jets team that didn't come to play. I mean, that's a conversation for another day, but <laughs> it truly is. But... I think we saw everything that Joe Burrow was capable of because they they were facing a lot of pressure in that game. Whether it was four-man rush or blitz, they were getting home, but he was just making it happen. He was escaping the entire time. So I guess let's start with that Cincinnati Bengals offense against the Miami Dolphins defense, which has been very good despite the departure of Brian Flores. How do you expect the Dolphins defense to match up with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, and the whole crew? Well, I, I think it's certainly tougher um, ever since, you know, a week before the season, we learned that we were going to be without Byron Jones for the first four weeks. And, you know, a team like the Bengals, especially having two um, really formidable outside corners is critical. Um, but I, obviously, I think Xavier Howard is probably going to shadow. Uh, they might put him on Higgins and they might end up putting some bracket coverage towards Chase. I think that may be what they're looking at because Xavier's physicality probably matches up. Um, best with T Higgins obviously physicality at the catch point mm-hmm. um, Nick Needham actually had a really solid game last week covering Gabe Davis he's normally our slot corner um, but we've been forced to move him outside the undrafted rookie um, Cater Cahoo out of Texas A&M Corpus Christi I believe he had a really nice game week one um, so the Dolphins I, I'd say the secondary has the pieces for sure um, the only thing I worry about is it, we have been running so much cover zero, man. Just so many blitzes, putting those guys on the islands, and obviously playing the Bengals, you have to respect them a little more than that. So um, it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see if the Dolphins can have a little more patience and Josh Boyer be a little less um, aggressive as a play caller and maybe 
give them some more too high looks. Personally, I would strongly, strongly recommend it because that's exactly yeah. what the Jets did. I do not understand why. That was, I, I, I am not one who tends to outright question coaching decisions because, you know, I watch a lot of football. That doesn't mean I know as much as an NFL coach. Joe Burrow has consistently and did all game torch you when you blitzed him. So why did you keep doing it? You were getting home with four. You weren't closing. You weren't you weren't sealing the deal. You weren't getting him down. But you clearly weren't doing it with, with added pressure either. He was just finding the hole in the zone, escaping four, five, or six man, or even seven man, and, and just making you pay. So I think the Jets coverage unit is not as good as the Dolphins, but it's also not bad either. So oh, I, I personally wouldn't recommend... I really wouldn't recommend blitzing Joe Burrow on a consistent basis. I don't think it's going to work out well for you. So I know that you run a lot of cover one, cover zero type stuff in Miami. How many times have they deployed a too high shell in recent years? And who have they done it against and how successful was it? Can you pull that out, out, pull that out of your, out of your brain there anywhere? I mean, it has been aggressive pretty, pretty much every night out there. Um, I, I will say that we probably had um, a decent amount of success against, man, who, who was it two years ago? Well, we were getting torched by the, the athletic mobile guys like Kyler and Josh Allen, obviously, mm -hmm. but it, it did work a little better, I would say, against, you know, the, um, the Derek Goffs, the Jimmy G's of the world, and, you know, Joe Burrow, mm -hmm. obviously a little more of um, a pocket guy. So I, I think that... It, it really just depends on the style of quarterback you're playing. A um, lot of desperation from uh, Josh Boyer and Brian Flores over the years to put on all of these certain QB spies. And obviously with Joe Burrow, you don't have to do that quite as much. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think I would expect a little more discipline and patience um, from Josh Boyer because of the type of quarterback they're facing. Yeah, well, he, is, uh, he has tremendous escapability, but he doesn't, us doesn't usually turn that into rushing yards. Usually oh, he yeah. uses, uses that to punish you down the field, which is why blitzing is a mistake because you just leave the, yourself, you know, more space for him to do that. So as far as your pass rush, it's been pretty solid. The Bengals offensive line has been far from solid. Do you think there's a specific matchup that is specifically, you know, in the Bengals, I don't want to say favor, but the, the one spot where they might have a chance of holding back a little bit? Um, you know, with Jalen Phillips and Melvin Ingram and all those guys rotating around, I, th I think it's really going to come down to, um, can Jonah Williams, who, who's had some struggles, um, probably week two against Dallas, he, he got torched there. Um, I, I think it's going to come down to him trying to capitalize on a guy like Jalen Phillips, who maybe hasn't, um, taken as big of a leap as we expected in year two. Um, in terms of developing like a big repertoire of pass rushing moves. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that is a matchup where potentially on the left side, I think you could expect to see Joe Burrow a little more comfortable navigating his way there. So when the Dolphins are running cover two, do they tend to switch to an even front or do they maintain the odd front and when if they do who's like their their number one signature linebacker out there um it is 
um, a lot of even front stuff, um, but the number one linebacker is usually Jerome Baker. Um, they haven't really brought in the rookie Channing Tindall a lot, who I think is probably our most athletic, rangy guy. So, mm-hmm. um, and Landon Roberts is just a flat out liability, man. I've got to be <laughs> honest. Gotcha. Okay. So let's turn it over and look at the other side. I mean, to be honest, I think that's the signature matchup because it's very good unit versus very good unit. When we look at the other side, I think the Bengals' defense has shown a propensity to... I should say that they're able to hold up, but we haven't seen them face an offense nearly as explosive as what the Miami Dolphins have been this year. So... You know, obviously they made it to the Super Bowl last year. It's almost across the board, all the same players. But I have a hard time believing that those corners are going to be a legitimate matchup for for the speed that the Dolphins have at that position now. So, I mean, who? Do, I mean, so let me ask you this: since you've probably been looking ahead a little bit more than I have at this specific matchup, which of the Bengals' corners do you feel like is? the place where the Dolphins can attack? Because I don't know that one has been significantly better than the other this year. I think Awuzie has been a little bit better in general, but I feel like this year they're kind of gritting out relatively equally. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously um, the media narrative would be to pick on Eli Apple right here. Um, but honestly, if you look back to um, the AFC Championship, Chiefs versus uh, Bengals, he was really doing a great job on Tyreek Hill. I mean, following him on all these jet sweeps, making tackles in space, and obviously making that game-defining play in overtime. So I, I think it's really going to come down to um, can Jalen Waddle's speed overwhelm Chidobe Awuzie because Chidobe Awuzie has has really, really been solid um, over the past two years. Um, but obviously um, with Waddle, it's just – so many different ways he can attack you, so many different directions he can cut at any moment. Um, so I, I, I think you'll see Eli Apple coming out with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Um, but I think if the Bengals maybe go a little soft um, in coverage, they've put out some... They haven't really been super aggressive. I think it will be, can Chidobe Wuzier, um play zone coverage against Jalen Waddle and can Jalen Waddle find those soft spots that he's really shown a, a nice ability to do um, so far in his career. I just don't know how you match up with players like Hill and Waddle because no. both of them have the speed and both of them have the physicality. It is such a rare combination to have a, a receiver with that kind of speed that also has the mass oh, to, yeah. to fight off press coverage. It's 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 truly rare. I am a Jets fan. I have been telling myself all offseason that in some way, shape, or form, this is not going to work. Probably more as wishful thinking than anything because it's really not fair. Unless you are the most complete team in the league, it's so difficult to match up with a team that has that much firepower because if one doesn't get you, the other one does. You just don't have two guys on your defense that can match up with that kind of speed. And and when you add in the creative looks that, that Mike McDaniel is giving, I just, I have a hard time believing anybody, but the best defenses in the NFL are going to have a chance to slow them down. So, you know, it would be up to the opposing offense to score a lot of points. And 
so far the Dolphins have done a nice job with it. I hate to say it. I truly hate to say it, but they are looking very much like a playoff team at this point. Oh, yeah. I think before the season, my thought was, you know, there are 32 teams in the NFL. There's 16 on the good side, 16 on the bad side. I thought we were right on the border um, around 16. And what I've seen so far is a team that is legitimately not that far behind the Bills and the Chiefs in terms of execution early on in the season. And especially with a rookie head coach and you're trying to get assimilated to the new offensive scheme. It's really incredible. I mean, all of these different um, plays that he schemed up, all of these different clear outs to get um, Waddle and Hill in space. Um, I've really been impressed by how much he's expedited the growth of this offense. So the only real question I have about this team is one and one only, and that is the offensive line. Okay. And I think up till this point, it's held up pretty well. It, has. it hasn't been perfect. But they've they've been able to account for it with the skilled players. The question is, if somebody goes down, how confident are you that they're going to be able to put somebody else in? Because this was, and I know that maybe this has helped a little bit with the new coaching staff, but this was essentially the worst offensive line in the NFL. And it was they they added basically one pretty mediocre player and one elite player who's hurt a lot. And to me, like I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm like, that seems like a risky proposition. So far it's worked, but we are only three games in. How are you feeling about it at the moment? Oh, yeah. I, I think that before the um, season started, I think people were kind of overselling uh, the investments we made in the offensive line. But I will say sure. um, a guy like Greg Little, um, who we shipped over, I believe, a third round pick. Um two years ago. He was a borderline practice squad guy. He was horrible when he came in. Uh, ever since Austin Jackson went down, amazing first round pick, by the way, um, he stepped <laughs> in right tackle and and actually um, really, really held up nicely. So that's been a very pleasant surprise. You know, Robert Hunt is always been the one guy I can appreciate a little bit through the very miserable years of the 2021 to 2019 Dolphins offensive line. Um, and obviously Armstead has been phenomenal, even playing through this toe injury. Um, but if he goes down, man, we've, I, I don't even know who we put in at left tackle. Larnell Coleman, the seventh round pick from UMass, like, <laughs> and we've had some snapping issues too. So I'm, I'm honestly really surprised that we've held up so nicely. I think it's mainly because Tua, um, is doing a good job getting the ball out quick and we've mm -hmm. schemed up some really nice short pass looks. Um, but I, I think it is a line that really, really has to be consistent in terms of health. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think another question I have about them is how they'll hold up when the weather changes. Because oh, yeah. I, I, I think if you have bad weather, you have rainy weather, you have snowy, windy weather, whatever. I, I think the expectation that it was going to hold them back now was probably overblown, but there is no doubt. I, I don't think any reasonable football analyst can look at Tua and, and tell you that he doesn't have a below average arm strength. So when you do get into those cold weather games, when you have to go to Buffalo, when you have to go to Cleveland or Cincinnati or Baltimore, any of these places, especially if you do make it to the playoffs and then you end up having to play in those places, 
Um, I mean, hey, and maybe they won't. Maybe they'll end up with such a high a high seed that they can get away with it largely. That's always a possibility and play a lot of games at home. But if that if that comes to fruition, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you foresee them being able to scheme around that? Do you think that it's going to end up being more of an issue? Um, well, I mean, from what we've seen to from Tua so far, um, down the stretch, big games on the road and bad weather, he, he's had meltdowns, man. There's really no um, evidence that I can use to say that he would be rock solid in that type of situation. Now, I will say, um, having such a well-schemed run game and guys that are really have been efficient so far in Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds can kind of get the ball moving a little bit more. And, you know, you can obviously do all sorts of screen action and jet sweep stuff um, to minimize, you know, Tua getting uncomfortable in the pocket. And, you know, those rainy games where the ball is coming out a little bit funky. Um, So I would say we are definitely more well-equipped to compete in the um, cold weather down the stretch going up to Buffalo. I mean, even Kansas City can get pretty pretty bad uh, down the stretch. Um, but then again, there's really nothing that tells me that Tua is all of a sudden ready to thrive in that climate, considering, you know, that Titans game last year, Bills game in 2020. Um, the evidence has just not been on his side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even the Patriots game at the end of last year, that was in Foxborough as well, if I oh, remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something to monitor. I think if you can keep getting the ball in the hands of, of guys like Hill and Waddle. I think another thing to monitor too, and obviously attrition is a big deal for any NFL team, but I do wonder what it would look like if the team was without one or the other for a stretch because I think right now it's the fact that you have both that puts so much pressure on a defense. So I don't know. I mean, like I'm very high on what the Dolphins are right now. I still have just questions about what they look like. But to be honest, I have major questions about the Cincinnati Bengals as, as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always side with the elite quarterback, right? Like, no matter what matchup it is, it takes a lot for me to pick against an elite quarterback. It did not look like that was a wise pick week after week after two weeks, right? They managed to pull out a win versus the Jets. I will still find it hard to pick against the Bengals now just because of my faith in Joe Burrow and how how highly I think of him. But if he cannot get the ball out, like if he, I mean, if he if he's just getting that pressure in his face all the time, you just cannot rely on him to be a superhero on literally every play. I mean, he was on pace for a record number of sacks before week three. He still faced a ton of pressure and managed to overcome it. I think largely by himself. Obviously, guys made plays down the field, but his offensive line did him no favors. I just, I'm trying to imagine a way that the Dolphins don't get home more effectively than the Jets. I just, I trust the defensive coaching staff there at this point more than I do with the Jets. And I I hate to say that as a fan, but it's just the case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think with the Dolphins, the main reason why they're consistently able to overwhelm offensive lines is just because how much depth they have on the defensive line. I mean, you've got probably four uh, starting caliber edge rushers, and you've got Raekwon Davis, um, Zach Sealer, and Christian Wilkins, who you're rotating in and out of the inside. So, you know, if they're, they're getting fresh bodies in there. Offensive line is keeping the same bodies in there. 
And, you know, if the Jets were able to do that um, and get pressure with probably, you know, average to slightly below average um, unit up there, I think the Dolphins will definitely um, give them even more problems. Well, I think the Jets actually have a pretty solid defensive line. I'm not I'm not sure it's it's quite as good as the Dolphins. I don't think it's significantly lesser, though. I think the, the problem yeah, with that was the Jets couldn't score. Their offense could do nothing. They left opportunities on the table early, let themselves fall behind. And as that happened more and more, they tried to blitz. I think they got impatient, and the blitz killed them. And I really do. I, I think, But I also I have every confidence that the Dolphins will get home whether it's with four, you know, or not. But I, I just, I, I, I feel like I trust the defensive coaching staff of the Dolphins not to blitz. They've already faced an elite quarterback in Josh Allen, gotten it done. I think that they're, a, they're, they're prepared for a guy like Joe Burrow, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, like I brought up earlier, the Dolphins um, probably – have had a lot more defensive um, success against the pocket passers of the world and the guys who mm-hmm. aren't super threatening um, with mobility and read options and all that type of stuff. Um, and last week on third downs, man, they really could have, if if that's, you know, your average NFL athlete and not the superhuman that is Josh Allen, <laughs> they probably would have had like five sacks on third down. I'm not even kidding. The amount of plays he was able to, somehow evade um was insanity and joe burrow obviously has that really solid level of escapability but you know um if they if they can just stay patient um and you know get some points up on the board because you know like you said that's when you start to feel the need to blitz is when you fall behind earlier and and tua has had a reputation of being a, a slow starter in this league um and we have seen that through the first two weeks um but you know, at the end of the day, I, I think you're right, man. I think that the Dolphins um, are prepared to adjust to the type of offense they're facing. Mm. Well, I'm just glad that I don't live close to any Dolphin fans that I'm aware of <laughs> to have to to have to deal with the four and O Dolphins fan for the next. Oh week. man, <laughs> that will be insufferable if it happens, man. I'm just warning you right now. Yeah, well, I'm in Austin, Texas, so I'm kind of surrounded by Cowboys country and Longhorns fans, so I'm a little bit insulated. All right, I have very intentionally buried the lead on this one. Tua Tungavailoa goes down with an obvious concussion. Everyone and their mother is 100% sure that he is out for the game. Oh, yeah. He goes back in. In the in the game, I'm like, because I'm watching that game, obviously, it's the best game of the week. I'm watching, like, what are they doing putting him back in there. It's become a story. The NFLPA is investigating. What, what Do you have any insight to this? I know what the story is from Mike McDaniel. Obviously, it doesn't pass a smell test for a second. I mean, what's your take on this at this point? It, it's fishy. I, I am not going to sugarcoat it. It is very fishy. And the thing that makes it even more fishy to me is how disastrous Teddy Bridgewater was when he initially came in. I think that yeah. they went into the locker room with zero confidence that they were going to win that game with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, and, you know, Tua has claimed he's ready to play. Um, he claims that he's just nursing back soreness. I mean, obviously, I think you know that part. Um, but he, he's concussed, man. I... 
the way he reacted and the way his head um, hit the ground inadvertently, it, it was a concussion, man. I, and I'm just kind of shocked that he was able to come in and honestly think so sharply and execute so sharply. But after mm-hmm. the game, he, he looked like a zombie, man. That that video of him talking to Josh Allen, he looked he looked really in bad shape. So I I really can't defend um, the way they've handled the situation by any extent. So I I know a guy. He was a kicker in the NFL back in really? the nineties, mm-hmm. and he has talked about what it was like when. So he obviously as a kicker, you're not making a whole lot of tackles, but he was like a fairly big guy for a kicker. And he he got in the way on a kick return and took a guy down and got absolutely crushed and got concussed. They took I, I don't want to totally tell the whole story because I want to have him on the show at some point to really give his version of it. And they they can inject you with something. And I don't know if they use the same stuff that they did back then where you feel like good as new, whether you're concussed or not. So I'm not su- I'm not really surprised that he can think on his feet and be sharp in the game because I know that they can give you things that will help you with that. Again, don't know if it's the same as back then as it is now. I want to ask some more players what they think about that. But I will also say that I, I have been watching this year and I have been surprised on more than one occasion that a player that I was pretty sure was concussed ended up coming back into the game. So I have, you know, a little bit of a conspiracy theory, I guess, that teams around the NFL have gotten a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more comfortable fudging that protocol. Like maybe he technically passed. They're not real. They don't, they know he's concussed, but they're like, if we can technically pass him, then we're in the clear, get him back in there. And with everything that the NFL has done to basically proclaim that we are all pro player safety, then I think this could be a storyline to watch for sure. Anyway, I know that's not what you came on here to, t- to talk about, but it's timely. And just because it's happened with the Dolphins so oh, recently, yeah, I sure. wanted to bring it up. But um, I think that'll do it for us, man. I really, really appreciate you coming on. I want to get you out of here while it's still, you know, pre-midnight. <laughs> but uh, let everybody know where they can find you, man. Tell them about TikTok. Tell them what you do over there and, uh, and, and you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, so um, on TikTok, I post one to two to upwards of six videos on the weekends of football content every night. Um, you can find me there on Elite Takes um, at Twi- on Twitter. Um, I'm really just on there at certain times throughout the day, um, consulting with other people, just talking football, having fun. Uh, you can find that at Elite Takes underscore at the bottom. And then also on Instagram, um, same handle, Elite Takes with the underscore at the end, where I kind of repost some of my TikTok content and try to interact with a totally different platform. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I think I think social media has been say what you want about it in the world of sports it's been a truly incredible force of just it's awesome, letting people man. to communicate like we were just talking about this the other day so we we do a lot of written content that's that's our bread and butter at gridiron heroics and we're we're talking and like we you know i don't think putting out a story about a game immediately after 
the way that you kind of classically did as a beat writer is really necessary anymore because people's first interaction is not to go to a newspaper first thing in the morning or go to an online publication immediately after a game. They go to Twitter. They go to their favorite live stream. Like they, they, that social media presence in the world of sports has been pretty amazing. So it's very cool that you found your platform there. And I was really excited to talk to you tonight. And we'll definitely have you back on. I mean, especially if the Dolphins start rocking and rolling through the rest of the oh, season, boy. man. Yeah. All right. So thanks again. And uh, we will see you again very soon, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You have a good one. Thank you all so much for listening to our big Wednesday show. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics football show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. We'll be back tomorrow with our draft show, which means we'll do a little news and then we're going to jump right into rookies and 2023 prospects with Nick Miriam and Owen McCullough. And please do follow us, rate, review, subscribe on any podcast platform that you listen to. And I feel like since we had Nico on today, I should say, follow us on Twitter at the Main Gridiron Heroics page as well as Instagram and TikTok. We will see you all very soon.